Hi, this is Steve Harkadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. Today is Friday, September 17th, and I'm coming in live with Alec Koros and a group of about 40 educators uh, from Concordia School in Shanghai, China. And our special guest tonight is David Kahn from Montessori High School at University Circle in Cleveland. Welcome, David. Glad to be here. Or there. Or there. <laughs> <laughs> We're enjoying that. Thank you, David. So Future of Education is sponsored by my employer, Illuminate. And the project I work on for Illuminate is called Learn Central. It's a free social network for educators. And it has Illuminate baked in. And you can use it for free. Coming up, uh, we have announced our Global Education Conference in November. This is a free worldwide conference, five days, multiple time zones, multiple languages, multiple tracks, and all for free. Go to globaleducationconference.com for more information. Coming up on the future of education on September 28th, when I'm back in the States, Paul Peterson talks about his book, Saving Schools. Ben Daly is going to talk about High Tech High. Uh, DiMartino and Walk are going to talk about their book, The Personalized High School. Then we have Sylvia Martinez, Roger Shank, and Kathleen Cushman's coming back for her student panel on homework. And lots more fun ahead. Please uh, feel free to look at futureofeducation.com for that schedule. Of course, all events are free, and we hope you'll join us. If you've missed a session, all of the sessions have been recorded. Uh, last week, uh, Charles Fidel spoke on 21st century skills in STEM. We had George Siemens on connectivism. We looked at the BYU-Idaho learning model. Kathleen Cushman talked about her book, Fires in the Mind. Uh, lots of fun there. Amber Mack, Carol Dweck, Linda Darling-Hammond. Much, much more all in recorded form, both in MP3s for podcast and uh, full Illuminate recordings. If this is your first time in Illuminate, it is a uh, collaborative, participative environment. We won't go through the full tool set here because we're short on time today. But uh, please feel free to raise your hand. Um, when we go to Q&A, you can actually ask a question using the mic. If you think you want to use the microphone, go up to Tools, Audio, and run the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure you're ready for that. And this is where you get to show us where you are on the map. And normally I'm in boring Northern California, but I get to put a star here in uh, Shanghai. And feel free to put in the chat where you're listening from or participating from. And you look for the look for the wand with the red star at the end to put that star on the map. So you click on the wand with the red star, and then you click on the map. So we have Australia, China. Looks like maybe. France, North America, Luxembourg. <laughs> and we have a whole group here. We should put a big star in China. So David, thanks so much for coming on. I know this was short notice. And our thanks to, to Lori, who helped to arrange this. Lori is one of the cohorts uh, here in Shanghai, cohort leaders. Um, I've, I'm going to pull up the website for everybody to see uh, the description of your school. And can you give us a little bit of background? I know it's a new school. And, and kind of tell us what makes it unique. OK, well, to begin with, um, it may be a new school, but it's in a 100-year tradition, which is the Montessori tradition. And we've been, we've been uh, conceiving this school for 
uh, over, um, I would say, 13 years with a, a plan of study that was in the making starting in 2004. Uh, we opened in 2008 with 37 students and then doubled our enrollment uh, the following year to over 70. We're now up to 80 in our third year. Um, we're part of a Montessori project called Project 2012, which is to deliver a developmentally sensitive approach to adolescent education uh, using a place-based uh, um, um, uh, focus, that is, where place teaches, where responsibilities are found in reality, and complementary curriculum then is evolved from realistic situations. The first half of adolescence is devoted to uh, the, the farm, farm as teaching place, farm as microcosm community, farm as uh, producer, uh, and a, 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 a microeconomy, farm as a teacher about nature, both man-made uh, relationships to nature and also uh, the natural world in, in juxtaposition since the farm is located in the middle of a, a beech oak stand and uh, nat natural wetland. The second half is our high school. It's located in University Circle, which is a square mile. And uh, it's a square mile of 41 institutions. And it's, um, uh, the institutions are um, our best cultural institutions in Cleveland, including the Cleveland Orchestra, that's world renowned. Uh, the Natural History, Cleveland Museum of Natural History, the Western uh, Reserve uh, Historical Society, the Cleveland Botanical Garden, uh, the um, Montessori, uh, I'm sorry, Montessori, the, um, um, uh, the Cleveland Institute of Art, the Cleveland Art Museum, uh, the Cleveland Institute of Music, which prepares musicians for the, the uh, Cleveland Orchestra. I can go on and on and on, uh, but I, I think you, want, you might want some different kind of information. So David, can you give us a short overview of what the Montessori tradition is? And are you, there aren't that many Montessori high schools, are there? No. Um, I would say in the United States, bona fide, that is well-researched Montessori high schools that are attempting to approximate the uh, Montessori idea, there's probably 15. Coincidentally, because Montessori high schools were started in Holland in the 20s, 1920s, there are 33 Montessori high schools in the um, in in Amsterdam, Amsterdam region in the Netherlands, and uh, these are really not Montessori, but they're Montessori in name. They're really Montessori. There is another word for progressive high school. Uh, so, what does Montessori high school mean, or what does Montessori mean? Montessori means that we look at the psychological characteristics of the, of the student uh, at every stage of development, and then we try to, uh, we try to set up a corresponding, um, what we call prepared environment, a learning environment that, that, re that relates uh, dynamically to those um, uh, inner needs and, uh, of whatever developmental period, whether it be early childhood, whether it be childhood, whether it be adolescence. Uh, these are uh, early adolescents, late adolescents. They all have different developmental characteristics, and we have programs that we design to respond to those developmental characteristics and maximize engagement because we've touched the very sensitive periods these students are evolving at the time 
that they move through our environments. Am I speaking too fast? No, just about right. Hey, so can you tell us, um, uh, we're, uh, the group here is looking specifically at w what education might look like in 2020. And, um, and one of the questions that keeps coming up for us is the role of technology. So uh, what role has technology played or not played in your concept of what you're doing at the school? Well, the, the, we have, everyone has a MacBook. The science lab is equipped with an um, electronic system for re reading out all microscope work, all sensor work. Um, um, we have smart boards. And you know, my honest opinion is that they are basically irrelevant to um, future education as compared to the social dynamic that adolescents need to experience with each other and with the, uh, their immediate community and world at large. So that even though you have, a, a, you have great cyberspace and all kinds of information gathering uh, um, devices through the internet, uh, what's really fundamental to this age group is their, their um, uh, contact with the international world, particularly cultures different from their own. This is what really uh, creates excitement, engagement, and a sense of, uh, shall I say, identity. Because, you know, you can't experience culture really through, through a, um, uh, a hookup, in my opinion. I don't know, for instance, who you are. I figure you're a pretty good speaker. You certainly know the technology of Illuminate. Uh, but I don't get any sense of your person. This is a fairly clinical, uh, clinical uh, connection compared to what it would be if I were sitting in front of you. Even if I had the image of you, it's not quite the same. Now, maybe I sound a little reactionary. But what I really think is that, yes, I think technology uh, serves our students very well, and, but it also distracts them. And, it, it, and it, most of us know that in working with, um, working with uh, different aspects of, of research on the Internet, that you can get very quick feedback, but not necessarily in-depth in, in um, uh, research skills. So it's a mix. I guess what I'm saying, I'm giving you a mixed message. Technology is wonderful. It's amazing. The kids love it. But they also get, as, as we all know, psychologically immersed in it and lose some of their sociability and, 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 and qualities of human development that, that are so important, particularly for adolescents. Uh, did I so say the wrong thing? No, no, no. You did not say the wrong thing. I think in a lot of ways, uh, our group of the two cohorts, I can't speak for the second cohort, but our cohort talked about a lot of the same themes that you touched. And we were intrigued because we built sort of a wish list for a school in the future and got to the end of that wish list and realized that we hadn't mentioned technology at all. Um, why don't you give us a, a description of the partnership programs that you're doing with the, the museums and organizations nearby? Well, the partnerships begin with encounter with the, the real scientists, the real curators, the real gardeners, the real artists. We try to avoid the education departments. Uh, the education departments are geared to tours. 
and they are geared to uh, revolving door types of field trips. We want sustainable uh, ongoing relationships with these museums, so we try to get right up to the power structure. We try to say that, look, we're going to bring money to your institution because we're going to, we're going to create uh, natural partnerships. Let me give you an example. At the Natural History Museum, we have a fairly well-known vertebrate paleontologist. His name is Mike Ryan. And last year, uh, last the beginning of September a year ago, uh, he, t he took 11 students into Mongolia. In fact, uh, Lori Heckela's daughter was there. And well, Mongolia, the Gobi Desert. Uh, kids generally don't go to the Gobi Desert. They they wouldn't last a minute in the in the Gobi Desert. So why did it get? How did it get started? Well. Um, we took some of the, the uh, tuition uh, from our school, parents did some funding, we did some fundraising. We actually almost funded the expedition ourselves. The Natural History Museum kicked in about 25% with an international team of paleontologists, some from Mongolia, some from Canada, some from the States, and then there were Mongolia, Mongo Mongolian um, uh, students there uh, who also participated. So it was a total cultural immersion in, a, in, a, in an environment which actually transformed them in a way because it's so remote from, well, Cleveland, Cleveland, uh, uh, the Cleveland uh, weather. I mean, there's nothing like the Gobi. And it's so re remote and beautiful, stunningly beautiful and stunningly violent. I mean, hot, windy, sandy. And something happened. These, these kids had to find purpose in what they were doing there. They started identifying fossils, digging up fossils. They found out about poachers and the notoriety of poachers and how poachers are destroying scientific evidence about life on Earth. And they, they became radicalized by that. They wanted to stop poaching. Two of them want to be vertebrate paleontologists. Only one of them so far has actually majored in it. He's, she's since graduated. So that's an example of a fairly sensational approach. Uh, we're also working with our, the Cleveland Botanical Garden. The Cleveland Botanical Garden has two biomes, uh, a Madagascar desert biome and a uh, Costa Rican cloud forest. These are in a glass house and they are, in a sense, simulations. Now, this, now the, this, these particular environments were set up for their wow effect. So people would walk in and they'd go, wow, this is incredible. How did they ever do this? Butterflies galore, birds flying through a, a virtual menagerie of reptiles, uh, you know, walking across the path. But the question was, well, does anyone come back? Very little repeat business, minimal, minimal signage. Uh, so our job, our collaboration will be to create a speaker series. Our kids will create a speaker series. We will work with the horticulturalists at the Botanical Garden to bring back some of the expertise that built the, built the garden, uh, built the biomes in the first place. I will have to say that the, the, all the expertise and all the background behind the biomes went, went with change in personnel. There's only one person left that knows anything about them. So this is a kind of uh, vital function that we, we work out with these um, partnerships. We pay them some money out of our tuition for their time, for their training, uh, but we also do a great deal of service. Now, um, we've, we have a conventional memorandum of understanding so that they know uh, that we mean business. This is, not a, this is not a volunteer kind of program. It's a serious um, collaboration. I can, um, 
I think it's also important to realize that each of these institutions become a catapult into the world. We tried to get with the Cleveland Museum of Natural History, we catapulted into Mongolia. With the Botanical Gardens, we will go to Costa Rica or Madagascar. Uh, Madagascar, if it, I understand the politics are a little rough right now, but we, we, we wanted, they want to go places, they want to travel, they want to be relevant to the world. That's first-hand information, that's not cyberspace. Another trip we did was, was self-sponsored um, without an institution to Oaxaca, Mexico, working with indigenous cultures. What's characteristic about the trip? Again, it's a culture very different from our culture. Once they're in a different, a different culture, a radically different culture with radically different conditions, mostly impoverished, uh, it becomes an instant learning experience where, where all the elemental skills I would say skills of the 21st century are about survival, they're about understanding the world and how it interrelates, they're about understanding agriculture and its importance, all the natural elements of the natural world. So when they go to these places, they become increasingly aware because it's so different, the, the habitats are different and the people are, are, are poor and so they're not blinded by human uh, infrastructure and build up and, and uh, urban realities that shield you from really any kind of uh, real encounter with humanity or, and, and the environment of humanity. Well, am, I, am I right in thinking that you actually positioned the school at its current location because of the proximity of these organizations? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, it was an insane idea because it was so expensive. Uh, and, uh, in fact, we raised the value of real estate in University Circle because we wanted to emancipate some really beautiful houses that were stage center. So we're right across the street, across the street from the Western Reserve Historical Society. Uh, and then going around the, the literal circle, there's the art museum, then the botanical gardens, then the Cleveland, uh, Case Western Reserve Law School. Looking out a little further, uh, there's the um, uh, Cleveland Institute of Art looking to the left, a beautiful um, brand new concert center at the Cleveland Institute of Music, 800 recitals a day. I mean, it costs it costs millions to locate, and it's the international Montessori community that supported it. And by the way, we've had the Chinese come twice um, to to look at this uh, um, approach and the farm school approach, which preceded it. And, and I believe China is very interested in it. And of course, maybe you notice, and maybe you don't, there are close to 6,000 Montessori schools in China. So I just want to bring it bring that to your attention since you're there in Shanghai. Um, uh, so yes, of course I located it here and, and I've had to pay the price, but it, it, the payback, the resources here are beyond compare. You're looking, by the way, at a house that I, I'm sitting in that building that you're looking at. Now I stayed at work because I live an hour away from work in the country. So I want you to know I'm, I'm half awake and, uh, and that uh, I'm in my office and uh, that's the house. That's a Shrine Fourth building. It's a very famous architect here in Cleveland. It was built in 1910. It cost us a million to purchase. We have a, half, a quarter acre to, it, to the left of that house. That was a half a million. And then another million and a half to rehab. All the money was, was uh, paid paid by the Montessori community to see this happen because the experiment is consistent with her philosophy. 
David, this is an abbreviated uh, interview because of the circumstances. What you're saying is fascinating. There are questions I have, but I want to move to a quick Q&A so that the people here in, um, at the learning conference can ask you a couple of questions. And if you're, if you're one of the, the virtual audience members, please feel free to raise your hand. That's the hand with the green up arrow to ask a question. And you can do that either by taking the microphone or putting the question in the chat. So we have our first question here. I'd like to start by saying that I love the model. Um, but I have slightly concerns here. being practical. Here. Oh. I'm very interested in the model, but I have concerns about the practicality of mass. You know, this is a mass scale. Can people really travel around the world like we were describing? Is there a scaled down version you can imagine? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I think there is a proliferation of um, travel opportunities being made available to adolescents uh, much faster than you would think. Uh, for instance, uh, we we met with uh, we went to the United Nations um, um, not to participate in a model UN uh, event, which was a simulation of how the UN works with young with young children grades. Uh, first through eight, we didn't go for that. We went to observe it, and when we went to observe it, they asked us to give a lecture to the whole uh, the whole group there, uh, 800 kids and maybe 20 diplomats. Diplomats, and um, so we gave a talk on peace, education, and peace, which is a Montessori theme. And immediately, having seen our kids and the sophistication with which they presented themselves, and also a whole a whole uh, auditorium of Montessori children from all over the United States, North, well, really all over North America, some from Europe. Uh, the diplomats were quite impressed. So what they did is they said, well, look it, we'll invite you over. Would you be interested in building Montessori uh, early childhood schools in our country? We got an invitation from Sri Lanka, one from Benin. Um, uh, let's see where else. Um, uh, one from South Africa. Um, um, uh, there were uh, one from um, uh, uh, oh God, Dominican Republic. So uh, the interest in a, a um, developmental early childhood education program was put forward was put forward by these diplomats to our adolescents with invitations to come to the country. Then we go to corporates or we go to um, private private uh, individuals and we say, well, would you like to fund this trip? And I'm sure there are foundations that specialize in, specialize in funding these kinds of trips. Now, whether or not our kids can build a, build a school out of indigenous materials when they get there, well, that's another question. We have to, we have to solve that question. I think it's doable. I think it's doable for anybody who puts their mind to it. But you start with preparation. You don't just go out traveling. You can do that with, you know, an expedition, paid expedition. This is a carefully construed curriculum which builds a framework for internationalism. I don't know if you know, but we collaborate with the International Baccalaureate. We have a hybrid, Montessori and International Baccalaureate. So we, we deal with internationalism as a state of mind. We give our kids basics in anthropology, basics in individual psychology, 
uh, uh, basics in sociology, and uh, we build all those sciences, all those lenses. We look onto history and travel from that standpoint. You can go any place, any time, and build an understanding about that culture. That's the spirit of the training, even before we go into the field. <coughs> I was finished. So David, one of the tensions that has been expressed here within the cohorts is the need to um, make sure that their students do well on the standardized test to get into prestigious universities. How have you addressed that concern? Well, we, we do our SAT prep preparation. <coughs> Uh, and we're aware of the demand, but the pre-collegiate pressures are not necessarily conducive to world education. And I think what you're going to find more and more is that college admissions are going to be looking for students that do diversified kinds of service in diversified places, and that the test will assume more and more uh, second place. Uh, or even third place. Also, the International Baccalaureate has a lot of prestige with colleges these days because it's like an extremely demanding uh, curriculum and it's externally assessed and internationally assessed. So we're finding really the, the old uh, adoration of test scores, I think, is rapidly disappearing. And, and, and many times, I think high test scores don't necessarily mean that you're going to get a student that's engaged, mature, or for that matter, uh, any guarantees. So you really have to, you really have to assume uh, a whole view, holistic view of the child who is the student that's emerging. Uh, and and if, he's, if you're really after 20, 21st century skills, that has a lot to do with active engagement, you know, understanding different sides of the argument, uh, identifying uh, relationships between uh, particular areas of study and the whole world, you know, the whole to the detail and the detail to the whole. This is not about test scores and you just have to let go of some of that. I mean, most of these kids, if they're engaged, if they are using the disciplines to unlock the secrets of the world and getting out into the world, they're, they're going to excel on these tests anyway. So it's, it's a pseudo, uh, I think it's a pseudo preoccupation. So I've given the microphone to Salva. Salva, would you like to ask your question? You listen to me? Is the sound okay? Coming through a little muffled, but we can't hear you. Now it's okay, and you listen to me good? Is it okay now? I can't understand the phone will repeat the question after he says it. Yeah. I don't know if you listen to me. If you hear me. Okay. My question is is it in your farm if you are having different approaches in the in the sense of agriculture, if are you using a chemical basic uh, agriculture or if you are using organic techniques and if that is part of the of the debate between the students and what are the conclusions? 
Repeat the question, please. Do you use organic farming? I'm completely beyond audio at this point. I can't hear. I can't hear Salva. So I think what Salva asked was if you're using organic farming. Is there any other kind of farming, Salva? I mean, basically, now we're not licensed organic for the farm school. This is for children 12 to 15. We're not licensed organic, uh, but we are not using any artificial fertilizers, no bug sprays. Uh, but to be licensed in the United States, you have to go through quite a bit of paperwork. So yes, our methods are organic, but we are not certified organic. Individualized approach to learning. How does he? Show, how do they show results, or how? how do David. Progress? So we've got a question from one of the members here. Since uh, Montessori uses an individualized approach to in, instruction, an individualized approach to instruction. How do you monitor or assess the student learning? And well, individually, individually. Uh, well, to begin with, uh, we. We, um, ha we have a formal approach to observation, uh, what you would call an alternative assessment uh, on-site observation. Now, the first thing we look for uh, in a student is level of engagement. That is, to what degree are they collaborating uh, in their work? Uh, because for adolescents, it's not individualized anymore. Uh, although we're looking at individual trajectories, that is, what direction is their whole personality going? Uh, what career paths do they seem to be considering? Uh, what are their styles of learning and so forth? So this comes out of observation. I mean, we have um, uh, also products. You know, this is typically uh, done with portfolios. In our case, because we're small, we can more directly encounter the work see what the student is able to produce. We check in the work, check over the work. A lot of the work go, comes over the computer uh, so that we, uh, uh, we, we aren't doing uh, as much on paper correcting, a lot of tracking changes, which those of you know is sometimes a disadvantage because kids um, uh, do not have to, they can use spell check, they, they can do different shortcuts with, with uh, with uh, rewrites that they can't do uh, and with hard copies. But generally speaking, we look at the writing, we look at the research skills, we put a lot of emphasis on research skills, much less emphasis on chronological content. For instance, in history, it's how do we acquire the knowledge that's important. It's not really just the factual content. So we don't test for factual content, we test for research skills, accessing information. So fundam fundamentally, in a small school, assessment's not a problem. In Montessori, the focus is on holistic observation. And observation is based on seeing what the points of engagement are and then responding in kind, creating a spiral of engagement in what Shikhtamahai calls flow. Uh, in other words, at a certain optimal point, the student loses self-consciousness forgets about you know, the surrounding distractions and launches into an incredible kind of altered state of engagement which has been characterized by us as normalization by Shikhtamahai, who's a fairly famous 
psychologist from the University of Chicago now at the Claremont in California, he calls it flow. So one of the aspects of, of engagement is seeing students really excited. We can measure that almost uh, through observation and through participation. We use the seminar quite a bit. The seminar is the classical Socratic seminar, which is the art of interpretation and the art of asking questions. So that in, in effect, we ask questions that can't be answered with yes and no. We work with primary source material. Uh, there is multiple uh, interpretations, no right answer. And, but yet, we're trying to problem solve along the same line. So the problem solving is interdisciplinary. It's interpretive. And it involves our observation of engagement in the problem solving. And that is what, that's basically, in very rough, short language, how we define uh, assessment. So David, I really want to thank you for, for coming on the show in these unique circumstances. This has been abbreviated. There, there's so much more we would like to ask you, but we are under some time constraints. So we're going to clap for you here. Oh, well, thank you. You know, it was very interesting for me. I've never done this before. And um, I can tell you, you can tell I'm passionate about this idea. And it's, and it's working well. I just want to report that these students will be ready to encounter problem solving in any medium, in any culture, and will want to be doing it. And I think that's what we're after for the 21st century, students that want to be relevant to the world. Thank you so much. Hi. Thanks to Learn Central and Illuminate for sponsoring the series. Please do look at futureofeducation.com for upcoming events and for the recordings. Thanks, David. Thanks for everybody who attended. Thanks to the cohorts who are here. We're going to sign off now. Take care.